0: So I'm here today with uh, Craig O'Donnell from Grosvenor, um, thanks for joining us today Craig. No problem. I thought it would be interesting um, to get from the Grosvenor point of view, um, you know, really get inside one of these uh, innovation and technology roles, just understand your story and, and how you approach things at, uh, at Grosvenor, what you're seeing, what some of the challenges are. We'll talk about retrofit, um, any hot tips you've got of companies to watch maybe. Um, but let's start at the beginning with your, your sort of tech journey. You've, okay.
1: uh, you've always been into computers and science and things. Yeah, um, well I, th- I think um, for your listeners probably this is going to be a bit of a history lesson on, um, on tech. So I think my first computer was a Commodore Vic-20. Nice. Back in the 80s. Retro. Where um, everyone else had a Commodore 64, but my family went for the Vic 20 that didn't have as many games. (laughs) Um, And then I got an Atari ST after that. Okay. Which again, I went for the Amiga for the better games, but I managed to get the the ST. So from an early age, I've made some pretty crap technology decisions. But um, no, my degree's in geography. Um, so not tech related um, but after I graduated from the University of Strathclyde up in Glasgow um, did a bit of tour around Europe with my my mates and um, stepped on beaches around France and drank wine and all that kind of stuff and then got back and the realisation hit that I had to go and find a job and um, apart from being a geography teacher there weren't many jobs at that point that a geography degree helped with so I then went and did a postgraduate diploma in IT. I started during my degree looking at geographical information systems, so very early GIS. Um, so I always had a, an interest in, in tech at that point. So, and, and then I got a postgraduate diploma and decided to try and find some fame and fortune down in London. So I moved down in 1999. Um, and initially worked for a company called Pink Elephant, not the car parking operator at Heathrow, but actually, they were an IT services company, a Dutch company, and I was placed into the IT help desk at Bearings, um, Bearing Asset Management, up the road in 155 Bishopsgate. Right. And it was a bit of a baptism of fire. So, again, back to that kind of tech history lesson, my first day was the first day of the migration from Novell Netware to Windows NT, and it was a horrendous experience. Mm. Um, the phones were just alive all the time people had issues back in the day when tech didn't work um, and a lot of my career has been built on the fact that tech hasn't worked um, you tend to fix things and that's the reason it's, it's, um, you, you got jobs in technology now technology does work and it's a bit of a slightly different proposition but back in those days you were there to fix things without having the, the blessing of having Google to be able to search and things so you had to work out um, how to solve problems yourself. Um, And I was there for a few years um, and then I joined Land Securities, um, so the UK's largest um, commercial property company at at the time. I joined as an engineer and then I ultimately worked my way up into the Chief Information Officer role. So I've been at LandSec for 17 years in total and been the CIO for six and then I joined Grosvenor four years ago. Okay. Um, And worked on a project with colleagues. So Grosvenor has a devolved structure, it operates in around 60 cities globally and has operating companies in in different geographies and the board at the time um, had requested a piece of work um, from a team which I was part of um, to look at digital disruption and its impact on real estate. Um, And I came up with lots of nice technologies and interesting stuff. That was only a snapshot in time um, and our main recommendation at that point was to be able to understand the threats on an ongoing basis, to be able to create opportunities and create new value for, for Grosvenor going forward. We recommended a dedicated innovation team, so just over three years ago actually, our, our anniversary was last week, um, myself, Congratulations. And my, thank you. Um, myself and my colleague Ian Mayer um, formed a digital innovation team um, and we very much um, work with our colleagues around the business to understand what their priorities are um, and we find technology to be able to support that we also advise the group on a strategic level in terms of digital disruption Um, and I think Grosvenor like any other real estate company um, has always not necessarily had a burning platform in terms of the impact of digital Um, and a lot of our job was trying to create a bit of that burning platform um, but I think since the pandemic, so um, even before the pandemic, um, online retail was um, having an impact on physical retail. Um, we have around 40% exposure to retail across the group. Um, offices have changed the future of work. What is it at the moment? Uh, I think um, we don't know. and. It'll take a while, I think, to get a steady state in terms of what hybrid really is. So you're trying to, when you say create the burning
0: platform, you're trying to, what, drum up some urgency to...
1: Yeah, um, to, one, look at, um, to understand that the way that real estate companies have traditionally made income, i.e. Cha- charging rent to tenants, um, in historically um, uh, upward-only way then that, that is a, that's at risk um, and actually most value comes from having a relationship with the end customers so the consumers of the space. If you think um, historically real estate had um, your landlords, you had your tenants and then you had your customers or people that worked for your tenants um, and then you had these digital companies that were on the periphery but they, there was always a bit of an infrastructure layer, a bit of a firewall between those companies and real estate, but what we've seen in recent years is these digital giants like uh, an Amazon, a Microsoft, um, a Google, um, Apple are now starting to directly influence people that occupy buildings. We've never seen tech incum- incumbents disrupting. So, for example, um, we work disrupted how people um, worked in, in offices. Um, You've seen things like Deliveroo in terms of how it's disrupting the restaurant trade. You've seen, obviously, different online shopping brands, so thinking about actually the value of real estate um, is changing and how do we then, one, I think, protect existing income that we've got, how do we enhance that and actually the value that we can capture is, is by engaging directly with the people who consume the space we've got thousands of workers across our Mayfair and Belgravia estate that historically we've never really engaged with mm. um, and we've only engaged with the person who've, that signed the lease on behalf of the occupier actually those people that work in our buildings spend money on the streets um, they in in restaurants so actually can we help influence that to benefit our community of, of occupants that we've got is very important for us. Okay,
0: various various strands we could pick up on there. I'm interested on whether there's disruptors, you've mentioned one in WeWork, but, um, maybe that's one thing, but also you, you you talk about understanding the pain points and the challenges for your colleagues and then finding solutions to match. Um, I'd be interested in that process of how you source, uh, you know, the infamously vast confusing landscape of thousands of tech companies how do you sort of choose ones to to put forward as potential options yeah
1: it's a vast pool um so you do need focus and what we've developed some key focus areas that that we do target our activities on so otherwise um it could be quite a fruitless exercise so you have to be quite targeted Um, but just to put it in context, um, this year so far we have scouted 450 startups, Um, we've then and that, that's a funnel, so we scout and then the ones that we like and we rate we'll then want to arrange an initial meeting with. So we've met with um, more than one startup a day so far this year. Wow. So, uh, what, so what are your categories and what's your judgment? The, so the categories, so Grosvenor is committed to being net zero by 2030 across um, our global portfolio. So sustainability solutions, climate tech is a big area for that. Um, we might touch upon it later in terms of retrofit, but I think to be able to um, improve the energy performance of a building to reach something like net zero by 2030. you're not going to do that by chipping away at 10% you're going to have to rethink completely how, how you do things and um, so looking a, a lot around those solutions um, future of retail um, as I've mentioned we've got a big retail exposure and if you think of Mayfair and Belgravia it's not we're not going to sell out of those locations so actually reimagining how retail operates and um, and I think what we've seen in in retail in in recent years and will continue, I think, is just a rebalancing. It's been an oversupplied market and I think um, it's a rebalancing of that. Um, Future of work, as I've mentioned. Mm. Um, We look around um, technologies as well to improve how we operate as a business, um, particularly around um, AI machine learning and and looking at optimizing how we do things. And then I think the last one, which is a bit of a hot topic, is... um, and we've called it Beyond the Built Environment, so this whole thing about what does the metaverse mean within a realistic context, so starting to think about that as well.
0: Oh, right, okay. This seems to be the, the jury's out as whether that's taken seriously or not.
1: Yeah, um, but I think the, the great thing of being in an innovation team and you're dedicated to doing this stuff is, well, you don't learn if you don't try stuff out. Yeah. Um, and innovation is about... People talk about failing fast, but it's about learning fast. Um, so try something and... and Being curious is a very good behavior to have when you're talking about innovation, is is being curious um, and trying to just experiment.
0: Absolutely, so you've described some of your categories there, sustainability, future of work, future of retail, efficiency within the business. So how do you then go and uh, get into this scouting process, the 450 companies this this year? Talk us through that.
1: Yeah, so we, we have a kind of, ecosystem of partners that we use um, plus we, we do the scouting ourselves in a team and I think um, initially three years ago I I might not have been able to answer this question because we didn't really have the expertise so It it's very much learning and that, I think that's where we lent a lot in partners so um, we've used plug-and-play for for a number of years um, who um, are based out of Silicon Valley but have a global presence and, and they operate Flows on your behalf, so you give them a problem statement, and then they'll source startups. We work with a company um, based in the UK called True Global, that's a retail and consumer specialist that that, that does the same. So they've invested in the likes of um Zwift for example uh, and their cycles um so we've used them and then a company called f6s as well it's a bit similar to plug and play and um, that operate a database of startups and, and we work with them and rating who we like but um from the start of the year um we've brought some more people into the team and using online tools that you can you can get that have these databases we've started developing the skills and experience to do a lot of that scouting ourselves but mm. it's, it's a lot of work so um, the funnel is very broad at the start um, and you have to filter it down um, and you, you do see a lot and, and I think what I try to explain as well to um, these partners and also startups um, is timing is everything um, so it might be that and actually today we had a conversation a startup that we saw six months ago and we didn't progress with might solve a problem that we've got today and actually having that record of what the startup does and um, you can then revisit it so I think timing is is everything in these things because all of a sudden business may have a particular need um, and um, you might scout a new one but you've also seen one in the thousands that you've scouted so far that may apply so yeah. um, it's having that knowledge that, um, and recording um, all the interactions that you've got. Um, so then we, we scout, we meet, um, so we tend to do um, 20 minute meetings. I think within the first five minutes you, you work out if the technology is any good.
0: Right, are you judging the tech not the... the sort we're, we're, we're judging...
1: We're judging the tech and the people, um, and I think the longer you go on working with a business, particularly very early stage, um, it's less about the tech, because ultimately um, it might pivot over that period of time, so the solution might change, so um, getting conviction and assurance from the people that you're working with is really, really important. Particularly um, in what we do um, is we have a model um, that's we find solutions and we try them and we're a customer of them Um, and we work with a startup to develop a product particularly if it is a very early stage and through that process of trialing it we then one get to understand does the product meet our needs and two are we comfortable working with the founders and the business and through that process we're doing quite a lot of due diligence and then if they're looking to raise funds for investment we will then look to invest in some companies at that point. Once we've been a customer and we've done that due diligence, so we have we have invested in some tech startups as well, but only ones that were a customer of us. And how important is it that they're well capitalized, that they've got a
0: track record, or are you are you not averse to taking a punt on something? That's- no, so
1: um, I think the sweet spot for us, because I think um, we've we've also invested in some funds, which. The ones that we've invested in tend to do a bit later stage, so we've got exposure in that regard. The ones that we're more interested in, I think, um, what we see to capture most value from is that early stage that we can help scale and become mainstream. Mm. And we think that through that process, so they might not be heavily capitalised at that point. They might have just went through angel funding by that point. They might be, be a seed that might be in the lead up to a Series a. That's kind of our sweet spot, and we'll invest small amounts, but... Um, into um, how much IRAs. roughly? Um, around probably three hundred to 500,000. Right. Um, and how many investments have you done like that? So across the group, so far, um, five. Okay. So we've done some in Asia, some in the UK. Um, and then we'll look to do some more in North America coming up as well. Okay. And any interesting results that
0: you can talk about that you've really seen an impact of things? Well, I think the, the one that
1: uh, was our first investment was a retail um, tech startup called Near Streets. So, um, N-E-A-R-S-T. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what they do is that um, they work with a retailer and um, have the retailer's live store inventory integrated into the likes of Google. So... If you search for a white shirt on Google in your local area, it will show you the retailers who have integrated with Near Street that have it in stock. Yeah, and historically, um, the customer journey would be that they would somebody would search for a white shirt and just be directed to an online retailer to make that transaction. But what Near Street allows, and the update it for 15 minutes, is give that live store inventory of stores around you in a local area. Um, and if you can imagine during the pandemic, um, for example, where um, people were, were making a lot more purposeful shopping visits. So you, you weren't you were restricted in terms of how you could go into a store. So you weren't wanting to go, go into a store and you didn't have it in your size, for example. So you, you're wanting assurance that the product was available. Um, and true. we saw n- near me product searches in- increase exponentially during that period. But what we did in Mayfair and Belgravia, um, two Christmases ago, um, we also paid a market research company to be out in the streets and asking people why they were um, on the streets at that point. Um, and 30% of people that were on our streets were there because they saw the product on Google first. Wow. Um, so has
0: Near Street had a good good take-up? Yeah. Um,
1: and what we saw, um, that drove £165,000 worth of incremental sales in a two-week period, Gosh. over that Christmas period. Um, because, For us, we are looking for products that would help attract footfall into physical stores and and Near Street does that. And through working with Near Street and implementing in Fair in Belgravia, um, we then um, decided to invest. It's quite funny, for a 340 year old property business, um, this was a completely new thing as you can imagine. We actually brought startup investing for dummies paper to, Mm -hmm. to help. Um, our colleagues understand what to look out for in these types of investments and we made a small investment um, we've since followed on because they have done a bridging round before they go for the mm. Um but it's been a very good learning experience and if you think a lot of companies at that stage will go, they'll go on to fail, they won't succeed and, and particularly at this moment in time um, capital has become a lot more constrained, the product market is a lot more turbulent yeah. I think we'll see quite a lot of rebalancing of valuation so I think um, there'll be less startups ups in that vast pool available in, in, in 12 months time because I think a lot fall will fall by the wayside because they won't be able to raise as much money as they have done historically. Yeah it's tightening up already. Yeah. Um, so
0: talk to us about the adoption within Grosvenor, how difficult is that internal sale and getting people to, to, to take these new solutions on? We've
1: created an innovation lab. Um, called the Foundry um, which is a place that we're we're always keen to create a space that we could run experiments in a safe environment. Um, The good thing I think within our business probably over the last 24 months um, innovation has been a big priority across the organisation people are thinking about doing things differently Mm -hmm. Um, but also it's this concept I've said before is that not all things will work um, and therefore just having the confidence to experiment in something might not work it's not a slant on you if it doesn't yeah. um, and, um, but the key is that you don't get wedded to something that you just don't, you don't spend months and months trying to make it work, you cut your losses and you move on to the next thing um, and that's important. And, and how
0: is it organised within the sort of business plan, I and mean, Grosvenor is obviously very successful, uh, very organised, is, is there a budget for innovation or is it is it just sort of throughout the business and if it works then they'll find it?
1: Yeah I think what you, and before we set up the innovation team and um, when the board initially said we like this idea of setting up an innovation function um, but we need you to put a bit more meat in the bones in terms of what that may look like we spoke to around 40 organizations globally around their innovation approaches and and one of the best biggest things that came out was um, budget often gets in the way of innovating so um, back to your question about business plan Um, if somebody doesn't have a line item in their budget for a specific solution then they sometimes in a large organisation find it difficult to find extra money to do things so within our team we've set up our working capital budget because we never wanted um, not having budget available to stop us doing the right thing Um, but it's we set up the team to be very capital constrained uh, um, from the start because again in real estate it's very easy to throw money at solving problems and but we wanted to be resourceful and be innovative so actually being limited in the capital we had was very important but again if we want to run an experiment, New Street was a great example um, we funded that from a central budget that we, had, we held because we didn't want in fact um, an asset team didn't have the budget available to stop us doing the right thing so mm. we, we do that but then once something scales then you can bake into the future years budgets in terms of paying for it but initially the experimentation comes from a um, budget allocation that we've got and, and it's based on the broad themes that we've got we're not very specific in terms of what we look at can
0: you talk about the, the sort of um, the size of that budget um how much
1: you got yeah so I think when you think of a company the size of Grosvenor, um, we've allocated this year £250,000 for working capital. Okay. Um, if we hit that top ceiling um, and we need to ask for more, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, but I think it will be made available as well. It's not, it's not going to stop us again, but having something that's quite a low amount um, helps focus the mind in terms of being resourceful as well.
0: And how, how important is the, the buy-in from the, the C-suite from the board, that they get it from the top down as well?
1: Yeah, no, I- extremely important. So our UK business, for example, um, everyone has within their personal objectives and innovation objective, um, the teams across the business are, are focused on these activities. Um, so, so it's very important from, from that um, respect but certainly um, our team reported into the group chief exec, so um, that that, again is very important. Um, And we work with all our chief execs from all all our operating companies in terms of um, how we then work with their teams. So we've got buy-in at the senior level, which again is really, really important from an innovation perspective. Um, And I say, yeah, we've been going three years. Um, I think that's a testament in terms of the activity we've got because innovation teams often get questioned in terms of the value they add to the business so right. still going strong after three years I think good, it's, good to it's hear. a good place to be
0: Good to hear, I wanted to um, to talk to you next about retrofit obviously um, there's there's some some old stock to say the least five yeah. six hundred years you've held things in uh, Mayfair, Belgravia, um, there, there must be some challenges about bringing things up to, uh, to modern standards and around energy performance and monitoring talk to us about how you approach um, the great challenge of retrofit?
1: Yeah, I think um, probably the main thing is, what I would say is there's not like a one size fits all approach to to this. Um, Like when you even try to get plans of our buildings, you have to go into the archives of Westminster to, to find some of these things, if they exist at all. So a lot of solutions that you see um, are based on modern buildings with modern building management systems and modern HVAC and and all those sorts of things. But yeah, in a heritage estate that you don't have that. Um, so you, trying to explain that to a tech startup is one a, a challenge. Um, we made a joke to one company we saw recently who was American that. Actually, Grosvenor as a company is older than America as the country. Yes, yes, <laughs> um, quite. And that just like, blows their mind. Um, but yeah, to to think about the heritage buildings that we have, and even simple things like understanding footfall across the London Estate, we can't put technology outside buildings because they're heritage assets, and you wouldn't get planning permission for them. So we've got to be very creative in terms of different solutions that, that we look for. And um, I guess there's, there's things. Um, so we're looking at lots of kind of glass technologies at the moment, um, so again a, lo- a lot of glass innovation and particularly around PV panels and, and all sorts of things um, and reducing heat loss from buildings are based on glass solutions that have a tint to them um, which from a design perspective is not great so we're never going to get approval to put those in our buildings. So we're working with a Swedish startup called PFEL that's working with NSG Pilkington Glass and we're looking at developing a solution that's fully transparent, PV, um, that can one, capture energy from the sun but also reduce energy that's going out. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not saying for example that um, normal glass in a building is going to be enough power to power the building, that's not going to happen, but it could be enough power to Power the IoT sensors, for example, that you have. So Mm. it's all about those marginal gains at the end of the day um, and looking at different things to do. Um, So, yeah, retrofit is a challenge. I think across every state we've probably only got 14 buildings with building management systems. Um, So how do we then look to improve energy performance? Well, putting in sensors that we can deploy quickly and easily to just get data about performance of buildings is very important. Um, air quality is very important within the buildings as well so a lot of solutions around that. And Why is it that those other buildings can't take a modern
0: building management system because the the BMS vendors would say they can go into any building.
1: Yeah but the the nature of almost what's like a townhouse in Mayfair for example it's not, the the cost benefit of trying to put in a building management system to manage that sort of environment is just just not there Um, so yeah I think yeah, you could install a building management system, but it's probably a bit of a sledgehammer to crack a knot at the end of yes, the day. Yes, yes. Um, actually, it gets hot, open the window, it might be that, some, some things. But actually, insulation, but better quality glass, those sorts of things we, we can we can do. And then, um, I think a, a lot of what the team are looking into, and, and not an area that my team, but um, across the business, is things like circularity within construction. So the reuse of steel and glass and all sorts of things is yeah. become very important for Grosvenor's business. And
0: there's, there's a big debate in the industry about who pays, um, we've seen some the astronomical estimates of how much it's going to cost to retrofit the, the standing stock that we've got. Um, is there an approach within within Grosvenor, within the model, that, um, that you've come across of how retrofit's going to be funded? Yeah, I think
1: it's one of these things, I think, um, if you try and work out how to probably make money from it then it will probably stop you from doing it and and I think uh, things like sustainability um, still come with a premium um, they have over recent years but um, there is a cost of doing the right thing currently as things become more commoditized then it becomes more cost effective but um, yeah I think how we um, charge our or commercialise that is, is, is something I think that will work out in the future but at the moment we're just concentrating on particularly around our operational carbon and how we can reduce that across our, our estates because ultimately I think what will happen is that um, the buildings that are more energy efficient will be the ones that will have a higher rental premium to them. People want to occupy more. I think that's probably where you recover your cost at the end of the day.
0: And how is Grosvenor going on its on its decarbonising journey? Have Have you been able to, to reduce carbon?
1: Um, so um, clear pathways defined. Um, so so we want to be neutral by um, twenty thirty, um, and we're looking to be. Um, we're looking to look at solutions to help us achieve. And neutrality by twenty twenty five as well. Um, we might do some offsetting um, to help do that. We might look at how we can generate some of our own power through solar solar energy to help um, produce energy for our state. We're looking at waste. So yeah, I think um, and what what we have seen, and I've just recently come back from a, a trip to Silicon Valley, where um, from a country that didn't believe or they had a government that didn't believe in climate change few years ago to one that now does and you're now starting to see a lot of new innovation in that area and um, the UK and the European market is a lot more mature for my customer base um, and I think all the UK real estate businesses um, have got this at the top of their agenda which is great to see and I think it will take industry collaboration to achieve um, the targets that, that we've all got um, as a country Well, obviously 2050 was a target but I think most realistic companies now, I've got 20, 30 as a target and I think working together in a collaborative way is, is the way to achieve that and Working together on a collaborative way around innovation is going to be a way to do that as well. Absolutely. There's no point
0: not sharing the knowledge and the learnings from this. We've all got to do it. Thank you very much for your your time. Craig O'Donnell from from Grosvenor. really enjoyed that and uh, lots of takeaways for for people listening. Um, Thanks again for joining the Place Tech podcast. I've been Paul Anger and I'll see you again soon. Thank you.